Blog Talk Radio. Welcome aboard. My name is Tom Mark Russell, President Day. So glad that you could join us on another Saturday morning. I salute you as I'm on loan from God to you. You have the next two hours with me uh, to guide you through this crazy world of sports. We do this thing called the balance every Saturday morning between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across the United States who have just joined us. We have got a lot to talk about, college football, bowls, games, and we're going to begin to merge into the college basketball talk, also some NBA talk. Oh, yeah, by the way, by the way, the Chiefs lost. We're going to talk about that huge loss with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor, and of course, he uh, writes for the sports exchange, www.footballmaven.io slash eagles. Mo from the BS Sports Show going to join us as well. Uh, well, of course, the BS about sports. 917-889-8516 is my digits. Rick Riggin, executive producer of the balance is standing by in the green room. We'll be back. I'm going to get into some college football talk. Nick Saban, what say you? Right after this. Tonight, I just want to take you The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. 
see live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. the bell is time to get things teed off joining me now is rick riggan the right hand well the left hand of god he hasn't quite earned the right to be the right hand of god but he's doing his best mr rick riggan how are you sir pretty good tom how are you doing today never better always good on a saturday gloomy saturday morning here in the west suburbs high atop the balance studios in indianapolis indiana are you ready for christmas sir uh, yes. I mean, uh, we're one of those procrastinators that waits to the last minute, but, uh, yeah, we're ready to go for it. So, uh, I, uh, <laughs> and, and, I, and I know what you mean about the gloomy Saturdays. It has rained here now. It's like it's the third straight day. It's awful. Whew. I'll tell you what, do we live on the, on, in the, in the great Northwest? I don't know, but, uh, Amazon is our friend. Amazon got the uh, ship now button for me last night. Finally got everything put together for Zach and Kalina. So we'll see what happens. And, of course, they got socks. You know, I, I, I love my, my socks, my NFL socks. Or, you know, there, there's just something about socks that makes your, your body feel good, right? At, you yeah. know, it, 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 am it, I the it, only one in the world that me. loves socks? You just reminded me of something. Yeah, you talk about NFL socks, and I don't know if you watched the show The Goldbergs. You know, it takes place in the '80s. You remember when Sports yeah, Illustrated had sure. that thing where you could get like the the NFL football phone? For some reason, when you talk about NFL socks, that NFL phone popped in my head. I have no idea why. And that'd be an awesome Christmas gift. When I, I I tell you what, I, I I'm one of those happy dads that get socks on on uh, on uh, Christmas. So 
Anyway, we digress. We 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 put foot show already, right? See what I did there? <laughs> so, that was a dad joke. All right. Or was oh. it a bad joke? I don't know. Dad joke or bad joke? I don't know. All right. Well, we're going to get into some of this college football talk. Obviously, Rick, I'm going to go ahead and let you just uh, take the reins here on some of the most important games that we've talked about. And you and I jokingly talk about that nobody else cares about any other bowl game. Well, unless your team is playing into it. So we will touch on some of these other bowl games. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Alabama uh, Nick Saban, certainly everybody's going to be talking about them. Let's talk about the bowl games that matter. We'll break them down by the numbers as we get closer to them. But let's go ahead and start the conversation about the bowl games that you and I and our team and, and of course, the world is going to be talking about here in the coming weeks. Well, I would just start off by saying, you know, I was wanting to actually talk about this on last week's, last week's show, but uh, – we had Army Navy last week, and uh, we spent a you know, great deal of time on Army Navy, you know, and rightfully so. But uh, I really wanted to ask and get your opinion on this, Tom. Is when you talk about the top four teams of the playoff, who should be in the top four? Actually, should it be the best teams of the top four or the most deserving? Well, you and I have talked about this many times, and and I I think that it should be. Playoffs should be designed to be exactly that. And I am not a fan of – it's the same way in basketball because there's always those teams that don't get in and, and there's always those teams that are on the bubble team that we're talking about. So I'm a big fan that if you've earned your way in, you should be in. I am not a fan of, well, strength of schedule, well, this, that, and the other. No, here's what happens. You win, and you need to do that process throughout the entire season. So if you've won enough games, I could care less who you played. If you won enough games, now does that mean that we'll get the best match in the playoffs? Does that mean that we'll get the best game that everybody wants to see? Does that mean that we're going to get a game that, that nobody cares about? Does that mean that you can get slaughter? And we'll, I'm just going to throw just a silly, silly – uh, silly um, scenario out there that would never be a reality, but just for the purposes of understanding my my concept here, I don't care if IU won enough games to get into the playoffs and ends up playing Alabama. Nobody wants to see Alabama and IU play for a national championship. That'll never happen. But that's that's the point. If that happened, if that scenario happened, if they won enough games to get into the playoffs and they won a playoff game to get into a national championship game with Alabama, that's exactly who should be there. Did that answer your question? Well, no, not really. Because uh, by with your scenario, then UCF should be in the top four right now, being undefeated, right? I've said that all along. Have I not said that about UCF all year long? But you're saying that it doesn't matter who you play against and how tough your schedule is. If you go undefeated, you should be in the top four. But that's where I disagree. Well, there's enough undefeated teams. Okay. There there, there could be some caveats because there is enough. There was, let's put it this way, there was more than four undefeated teams this year for the most part. So what I would say is then you've got something different. But let me ask you this. If, 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 
only lost one game, and UCF was, and I right, you guys, for those that don't know our, our lingo and our, our code talk, when I say you guys, I mean Notre Dame. Uh, had Notre Dame lost one or two games, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. But would you be upset if the, if the, if the uh, committee said, hey, undefeated UCF goes in over Notre Dame? No, I wouldn't be upset about that. I would not be upset about that, and here's the reason why. It's because Notre Dame only plays 12 games, while like most of the other top programs, you know, these teams and conferences anyway, they all have a conference championship games, which those games do not matter, but they have that 13th game. Notre Dame rolls into each season already basically having one loss because it's it's like having a loss already because they only play 12 games. They are the only team. Which, by the way, there goes to the favoritism that we have toward Notre Dame. Nothing against Notre Dame. Not a Notre Dame hey, actually, Dame lover. But there we, go, there we go again. Many, many times, Notre Dame football lives in this bubble all by themselves, and, and, and nobody else has to uh, they got to decide they're going to be part of the ACC. They, they get to decide the number of games they play. They, they have so much favoritism. Yet they they're the the loudest uh, band in the group if they don't get into the playoffs. Go ahead, Rick. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's all right, but I, I don't I don't see it as favoritism because it's like they already have one loss. So while all the other teams in these conferences can have one loss still make the playoff, Notre Dame cannot do that. Notre Dame cannot have a loss and still make the playoff. So for that reason, I would not be upset if a one eleven and one Notre Dame would miss the playoff and UCF get, gets in or Georgia with two losses, or, or a team like that would get in ahead of Notre Dame because, that, to me, it's not favoritism. I know a lot of people across the country think it's favoritism towards Notre Dame. I don't see it that way because it's already like they have a loss by only playing 12 games. Brent, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you now. Okay. Was I cutting in and out? Because yeah. we're still trying to battle this this uh this audio demon that we have that's possessed us, and I'm, I've been trying to track it down, and I, so I just wanted to make sure you can hear me. But, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. It was cutting in and out earlier, but I, I was still able to understand and make out what you were saying anyway. But uh, yeah, I was just saying in case it was cutting in and out. Uh, that it's almost like Notre Dame already has a loss just by playing 12 games a year. They go into the season already knowing they have to run the table. While other teams in these conferences can actually lose the game and still make the playoffs, Notre Dame can't do that. Well, they could if they played the normal schedule. That's the point. They, they shouldn't already have a they shouldn't already have a loss built in because of their schedule. They should play the exact same schedule as everybody else. Why is that not favoritism because agree. of schedule? I agree, and here here's my my solution to it. And you can agree or disagree with it, or whoever's listening, call in definitely, 917-889-8516. But uh, you see Alabama and Clemson and, and Georgia and these elite programs, they play against at least one time a year. They play in an FCS school like Furman, or uh, we saw Alabama play against Citadel this year. You know, those are automatic wins built in for these elite programs. And – I think that should not be allowed in college football. But since it does, and Notre Dame does not have that 13th data point, that 13th game, would people be opposed to Notre Dame playing a school like Citadel or Furman uh, while the other schools are playing their conference championship games and getting that 13th game? Would people be opposed to Notre Dame's 13th game 
okay with them playing against an FCS school because we see these other elite programs do it. Here's my thing, and and really at the end of the day, I could care less if it's the Citadel and IU in the national championship, and I and nothing against the Citadel or nothing against IU. I'm a fan of both of those teams, but let's face it, they don't have the best football teams in the world. Uh, but I, I'm using that for extreme examples. I don't care if that's who's playing in the national championship if they've won enough games to be there. The unfortunate what, – what, here's where I, I get lost in the mix is. March Madness, one of the greatest playoffs in, in, in all of sports. We all love March Madness. Schools from all sizes and shapes and, and schedules and everything else uh, come together uh, for a, a week or so of, of great hoopage. Uh, same schools. By the way, NCAA is several sports, several schools. All the same schools are talked about in the NCAA football that are in the NCAA basketball, whether or not it's we talk about it on the level that we talk about today. Why can it not be the same process? Do, do we need you – know, of course we don't need as many teams, but six or eight teams, yes. I think, I think there's a spot for at least, at least six, maybe eight, but four, it just goes back to a control factor. And if you're not in the good boy club, if you're not in the – country club, if you will, air quotes, of college football, you're never going to get into the playoffs. And that's unfair to schools like UCF. And the way to fix that is an 18 playoff. And I think the committee, or at least some members of the committee, have actually opened up that discussion of an 18 playoff, which is where it should have started uh, to begin with, and it should not go more than eight teams ever. I mean, eight teams should be the limit. That is the perfect number. Uh, it should never be 10 teams or expand to 16, 16 teams or whatever it is in the future. It should just be eight teams and leave it at eight. And the reason why there's so many teams of basketball, because there's like 313 Division One basketball programs, there's only like 130, 130 foot in the Division One football programs. So, although I'd be a big fan of a 64, 16 tournament, but you can't have that in Division One college football. Uh, again, not not saying it has to be the exact scenario. I'm saying the way that you eight teams. I agree with you. I think we're, we're both in agreement on that. Nine one seven eight nine eight five one six is our digits. Uh, me and Rick Riggin, my executive producer uh, of the Balance College Football contributor, Notre Dame extraordinaire, and a guy who likes to get his hair cut every week just because. If you want to join <laughs> join in the conversation. Was a call. Hey, let's talk a little bit about Alabama. Hey, we haven't done that recently, have we? Nick Saban, DJ Durkin, Nick Saban's school for the college football. I'm in, I'm in air quote mode, by the way. School for uh, college football coaching needs their image rehab. Took in the most controversial figure yet, uh, which led to the Alabama co- head coach issuing a statement on Thursday. The word emerged that former Maryland head coach, you guessed it. DJ Durkin has been serving as a consultant for Alabama. Durkin was placed on administrative leave in August over an investigation into the death of one of football's play, one of his football players during an off-season workout. Durkin was initially cleared and returned as we talked about it on the show. You know, high, uh, cleared, allowed to coach. Then social media said, "No, we don't like that." He was fired from Maryland. Now, apparently, he's a consultant, air quotes, um, 
Say been working with uh, Durkin uh, led to plenty of public backlash. The prominent SEC figure Paul Finnebon of ESPN uh, said the move was absolutely terrible and an embarrassing look for Saban. Rick, what say you, DJ Durkin and Nick Saban partnership? Well, that's what Paul Feinbaum said also about when Steve Sarkeesian was fired from USC for his drinking problem and being drunk at a, a, a boosters uh, convention. Uh, speaking on recruiting and speaking to the boosters and speaking about the program, he did it while he was drunk and uh, fired from USC, and he got the exact same role at Alabama as a as a consultant, uh, and it worked out because then Lane Kiffin ended up leaving for FIU. Sarkeesian came in for one season, or actually just a few games, I think, uh, towards the end of that season for Alabama as their offensive coordinator, and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I think it is a formula that works. It works great for Alabama. It works for Nick Saban. He's the uh, the misfit coach uh, uh, whisperer, I guess. Uh, he gets their professional careers turned back around. Uh, I don't have a problem with it personally for me because it seems like whatever Nick Saban does, Nick Saban does these coaches. It, it works for them professionally and maybe on a personal level too, you know, with their lives. It gets them straightened back out and maybe uh, – you know, Maryland didn't find that D.J. Durkin was guilty of anything. So, uh, for me, it's not a problem. I, I know Paul Feinbaum goes over the top on a lot of things, but I think in this case it, it's okay that – at least it's not Art Bryles, right? <laughs> well, that's true. But what do you think about the message that Nick Saban is sending? I mean, let, let's face it, uh, D.J. Durkin got uh, crucified by social media, and there are those – there are those in power that live and die by social media reputation. DJ Durkin lost his job at Maryland because of social media. Does it make any difference to social media that he's at Alabama as opposed to Maryland? Uh, I don't think social media should be really uh, a consideration for anything when you're talking about, like, you know, some uh, getting a job or hiring somebody. So I, I just don't think that. You know, it's it's a bunch of us, Tom. It's a bunch of people like us on social media. It's a bunch of nobodies. So, uh, hey, we're not nobodies. <laughs> I'm alone from God, damn I am so I. You know, every every anybody that knows me, and I and I get myself in trouble on social media because I probably post about things I shouldn't post about about people. I didn't post about, and I get myself in trouble. But I'm a big social media person. But at the same time, let's not live and die by the social media sword. And I think we've we we we've talked this to death. And and I, I'm guilty of. I'll be the first one to say something that comes to on my mind uh, on social media, whether it be a positive or a negative. Uh, and I'm guilty of that. I I am guilty as charged. But. I, at, at the same time, let me vent. Let me, like you said, a bunch of us. Although you and I are a little bit better because you and I are right there with God. I mean, come on. Uh, but there are people who are, are below us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, you're right. It is a bunch of us. It's a bunch of people who have an opinion. And universities like Maryland, or uh, we could use ESPN. We could, there's a lot of in it things that we could use. We could use the Indianapolis Colts getting rid of uh, their uh, their radio personality 
because of social media, because of something that he said, and and it got on social media. No, I shouldn't. I don't think that we should live and die by social media. But that said, if Maryland decided to get rid of DJ Durkin because of social media, was it the best idea for Alabama to hire DJ Durkin and well, and, and risk the the, the backlash? It probably is because Alabama and Nick Saban can withstand a, a social media storm. You know what I mean? As opposed to a school like Maryland who hasn't won anything ever. Uh, and then you look at a program like Alabama, uh, he's just uh, going to be another coach there, honestly. I mean, he, they, Alabama has the credentials to withstand whatever social media storm. And here's the bad thing about social media, for one. But let's look at Kyler Murray, wins the Heisman. And then like an hour after he wins the Heisman, uh, it comes out that when he was like 14 years old, he posted something with the word queer on it on social media. You know, I mean, it, and that that's bullcrap. That should not happen. And that's the bad thing about social media. And that was probably just a, an Alabama fan in the media with three teeth and they're pissed off because Tua didn't win the high control beat. And that's the reason why that happened. That is the whole thing behind it. That's why social media is bad and social media should not go to any consideration when making a move like that. You know you're just going to launch social media into outer space when you said Alabama fan with three teeth. That's like saying a Trump well, voter I mean, with three teeth. <laughs> I'm just I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I totally, totally, totally get what, what you're saying. Uh, uh, we, a few minutes left here, and uh, we're going to get to Grant Alstiff, who we're going to talk some NBA uh, with us. But let me just go to him and say hello. Grant, are you with us, sir? Oh, hey, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. I had my numbers mixed up there. I apologize, Matt. I I uh, did not know you were calling in. Thank you, uh, Matthew Embry, one of our yeah, other. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I overslept there. Oh, that's okay. Well, we were just talking a little bit about DJ Durkin and Alabama and, uh, you know, the, the backlash of social media. So go ahead and chime in there. We're going to get into some bold talk here. Grant, By the way, Grant Ostev is going to be joining us in a few minutes to talk some NBA. Uh, so I apologize uh, uh, for getting you uh, confused there, uh, Mr. Embry. Uh, my, my greatest apologies. Not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I think right now Alabama – should have known better than to bring in a controversial person. I mean, they are the king of the hill at this point. So you don't – everything that move that you make is going to be criticized. So I think this was not the greatest of decisions by Nick Saban. Now, granted, he's going to get away with it because he is super powerful at Alabama, and it would take – a colossal action, maybe to the level of a Sandusky situation or something like that, to knock him off like it did for Joe Paterno. But uh, at this point, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to, you know, avoid it. I mean, he'll get away scot-free, mind you, but I think if you were looking for a coach, I think you could have done better than uh, DJ Durkin, but that's just my opinion. So why, uh, Rick or Matt, either one of you guys can answer this, but why so quick to give Durkin a second chance? Uh, That's a good question in my mind. I mean, the stuff that's coming out of Maryland, and even now you're seeing even more negative stuff that was going on while he was the coach there at the football program and a lot of stuff dating back to when Ralph Fridgen was the head coach as well. I mean, 
that has just been, for some reason, a very dysfunctional program. It's a shame considering how many other sports at Maryland where there is not this kind of backlash and they are winning championships and doing it the correct way, like, for instance, the women's basketball program under Brenda Freeze, for instance. I mean, the, what the football program is doing totally contradicts what Maryland is about. And the fact that, uh, well, if Alabama wants to bring in a guy with a shady past, uh, more power to him. But uh, I think right now, if in the long run, I think Maryland's going to get back on the track right now and uh, try to clean up their image because what G.J. Jerkin was about is not what Maryland is about as far as what I've seen from their other sports programs. Rick, go ahead. Chime in there, sir, and we're going to get into some of these uh, bowl games. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with him. Uh, I, I agree with Matt totally. Uh, I just, uh, for Nick Saban's side, maybe he just looks at other coaches available for that position, and he chooses uh, what, obviously what he thinks is going to be the best fit. And uh, maybe he just sees it as a challenge to rebuild these guys, you know, that have these shady uh, yeah, have these shady situations like Steve Sarkeesian, and he sees it as a challenge. Maybe that's just part of his uh, culture there in Alabama. I, I don't have any idea. I agree with Matt and, and, and with Maryland. Uh, I don't know why it's different for football than any, any other school because, to me, Maryland's always been a basketball school. That's that's the, the root of their sports program, really. You know, that's where the money comes in. Yeah, but maybe they're trying to turn this around for football, and they're just going about all, all the wrong way. So I don't know what's going on with Maryland football. But for Nick Saban, I just see it as a, it he takes it as a challenge, I guess, to rebuild these uh, coaches. All right, guys, let's get into some of these bowl games. We we go into this every year, and there's a uh, we, we we again we can have uh, four teams for a playoff, but we can have so many bowl games. So I guess it makes it balance itself out. But we don't get a chance to talk about all the games, and you know, so if we, if we minimize your bowl or make fun of a bowl game, and congratulations to your team on getting on a bowl game. But I think it's it, we should at least touch on some of the the non top four bowl games that people are looking at as far as the national championship, at, at, at least as we build uh, build up momentum toward uh, New Year's Day, and so we got a couple weeks to do that. So let's take some time to to talk about the 2018 uh, college football uh, preview. We'll start with the Cure Bowl, uh, Tulane versus uh, uh, Louisiana. Uh, obviously, it, if you're not part of the national fan base, that's probably not the, the school that you're, you're following. But Tulane is making his first bowl appearance since 2013. Coincidentally, it lost to the New or- in the in the New Orleans Bowl that year to Louisiana. So we'll start with you, Matt. Tulane and Louisiana on December 15th. That's today. So we start our bowl games today. Go ahead. I remember when my colleague with uh, WSBT, Tom Noy, said that Tulane was going into the American Athletic Conference, and they've been over their heads since then. I mean, it's great to see them get to a bowl game, but I still think they are a mid-major team in a conference that's over their head. I think this will be a close game, and uh, hopefully my good buddy in Louisiana, J.C. Russo, is a Alma mater is the Louisiana Raging Cages could find a way to win this ball game. Uh, I'm picking Louisiana, just based on that. Rick, yeah, I'm just going to take Tulane here because I think Matt and maybe you can correct me, but these past two years for Tulane football has kind of just been a resurgence. I think they've had some. Uh, I know this year anyway, put together a really good year, and I like what I see from Tulane. I'm just going to take Tulane uh, Tulane in this game because of the resurgence that they've had in that football program. 
Guys, uh, also today in the New Mexico Bowl, North Texas, 9-3 versus Utah State, 10-2. Uh, and two. Um, Regardless of who's coaching these teams, uh, this gives us uh, both a uh, gives them both a good opportunity to conclude a strong to end their season strong with a win. I'm sorry, I cannot talk today. So, what are, what are your thoughts? We'll start with you. My prediction: I, I think uh, Utah State will win this game over uh, North Texas. But what are your thoughts, Matt? What are your, on the New Mexico Bowl uh, today? Utah State was nationally ranked. North Texas was not. Utah State did take on a little bit tougher schedule compared to North Texas. Utah State wins this game big. Rick? Yeah, I'm going to take the uh, the female approach to this, honestly, because <laughs> I just took Tulane, which is the, the green wave, and uh, North Texas the mean green. And green is my favorite color, so therefore I'm taking North Texas. <laughs> watch the female watch the female jokes. I know we have some female listeners. I'm just You just don't get along, yeah. folks. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh Las Vegas Bowl, Fresno State versus Arizona State. Uh, this is an interesting matchup. Always fun to see uh, a Pac-12 and a Mountain West uh, matchup where little guys try to take down the big boys. David and Goliath's story. Certainly that's one of the stories today. Fresno State easily handles Arizona State, Matthew. I want to call it a David-Goliath matchup. I think this is an Arizona State team that is underachieved this year. They have a chance, I think, coming into this year to beat a bunch of teams in the Pac-12, and they didn't do it. Uh, Fresno State had a chance uh, against a couple teams in the Mountain West, couldn't take advantage of it either. But I think in this one, I think Fresno finds a way to get the victory. Ricker. Yeah, I, I think it's been really impressive what Herm Edwards has come in and done and, and done with Arizona State because at the beginning of the season, everybody was like, why would they hire Herm Edwards? He hasn't coached him forever. I mean, this is not a good fit at all. And uh, as it turns out, Herm Edwards has been great at Arizona State. And for that, I think Herm Edwards finds a way to get it done. And I think Arizona State gets, gets the win today. I'm going to see an upset today on this next game on the Camelia Bowl, uh, Georgia Southern you mean versus the Camellia Bowl. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate that. Camellia Bowl. See, it, the words were all disguised there. I, I couldn't see the letters right. <laughs> Eastern, but Eastern Michigan, guys, I mean, let, let's, let, this is going to be the upset. Eastern Michigan is going to beat uh, Georgia Southern. Eastern Michigan made quite the plea uh, to earn a bowl bid. Uh, they proved worthy of, of an invite by winning at Purdue and losing and losing at San, San Diego in, in, in overtime. But Georgia Southern, meanwhile, is uh, making its second uh, bowl game. A lot of people think that Georgia Southern is the favorite here. But I think we're going to see an upset. Matt, what do you think, Eastern Michigan versus Georgia Southern? Eastern Michigan took advantage of a Purdue team that looked absolutely pathetic in week number two. I mean, it was not the same Purdue team, you know, that uh, demolished Ohio State. Uh, Georgia Southern, I think, has been a little more consistent, even though, yes, they are in the Sun Belt Conference. I think this is a team that uh, has a little bit more top-to-bottom than you know, Eastern Michigan can provide. And out of that, they talk about Notre Dame having problems with beating Ball State. Eastern Michigan had their problems beating Ball State as well. So going by that, I'm taking Georgia Southern. Rick, I know you never agree with me, but you got to agree with me here. Go ahead. <laughs> I will take Eastern Michigan here only because of Maction, baby. I love the Mac uh, conference. You know, so uh, Maction, I'm taking uh, Eastern Michigan. 
Guys, the New Orleans Bowl uh, tonight in the late game at Middle Tennessee at Appalachian State. Don't we still love Appalachian State? Don't we still love them because of what they were able to do in Michigan so long ago? We still remember Appalachian State for that. Oh man, I, that that's just fun. That's just fun old school talk there. But I honestly do think Appalachian State's going to win this, Matt. I agree with you there. I think uh, Middle Tennessee State, uh, the Conference USA, for some reason, is grossly overrated by a lot of people. I don't understand why. Uh, you look at their record, and they just have not. Every time they've taken a step up, they've struggled. While Appalachian State in their non-conference games were competitive, I think that's enough for me to take uh, the Mountaineers in this contest for another win uh, for a school that uh, I think, even though, yeah, it's almost, what, 10 years now since they beat Michigan, but even despite that, they've been able to ride the momentum uh, even since they made the move up to the FBS level. And uh, even though, yes, they're never going to win a national championship, mind you, in the FBS level, uh, they still could be competitive, and I think today will show that. Rick, uh, Appalachian State wins today is not going to be like the uh, the historical win over Michigan, but what are your thoughts? I agree with both of you here, and it is crazy how when you think of Appalachian State, you just think of that one program win right against Michigan, when really last year they had Tennessee in overtime. They could have beat Tennessee on the road. Uh, I, I love the program. I love they made the step up to uh, the FBS level. I'm taking Appalachian State here. We've wrapped up our bowl games for today, so we'll see we'll see what happens, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll continue to break down some of these other bowl games as 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 we as they come around. But uh, a couple more games: uh, Bo- Boca Raton Bowl, UAB versus Northern Illinois. UAB didn't even have a football program. Now it's going to its second straight bowl because of that. I like UAB. Go ahead, uh, Rick. I mean uh, Matt. Like I said with Middle Tennessee State, I think Conference USA is grossly overrated. I'm pulling the upset. Or Illinois is going to win this game. Woo! You heard it there. Hot take, Rick. Hot take. Yeah, I'm going to go with him here too. Like I said, Maction, baby. I love the match. So I'm going to take Northern Illinois here. Uh, we have a lot of high school football talent here where I'm where I'm from in Evansville. Anyway, they actually gets recruited and they actually attend and play football at Northern Illinois. Uh, so. It's kind of got a little – Northern Illinois here kind of has like a little bit of a hometown flavor in a way. So I'm taking Northern Illinois, even though I love UAB and what they've done with that football football program this last two years, getting the things turned around, uh, being a, a competitor again after not having a football program at all. Guys, we got the Frisco Bowl. Uh, Ohio's – you didn't know Ohio's playing in two bowls, did you? <laughs> the other Ohio, not the Ohio State. Athens, uh, Ohio, but, yes. Yeah. San Diego State versus Ohio. San Diego State, I like. They have uh, shown some limps along the way, but I think San Diego State still has what they could do to get it done. I know this is probably going to be a very, very close game, uh, and they're not going to win by much if – not a, a, a field goal, but San Diego State manages to beat the other Ohio. Uh, go ahead, Matt. question in my mind right now is where is San Diego State's head right now? Because they had a chance to really do some damage in the Mountain West. They lost a couple of big games late. I wonder where their head is for this game. And if they come in flat, uh, Ohio's got a chance. But I think San Diego State's going to win a game that's going to be closer than a lot of people think it's going to be. Rick? Yeah, and I'm going to pick against Maxion here. Uh, actually, I'm going to take San Diego State, too. Uh, for some reason, these last several years, San Diego State has been running back you, 
Uh, I'm with Matt. I don't know they what they've done this year. They've ha- had their shot. They fell apart. But I think they get it done in the bowl game and finish the uh, year uh, with, with the bowl win. Are you making up words, Maxion? Maxion action? Is that what you say, Maxion No, action? sir. That, That's that been is there a for years. I think that even dates back to the 80s. Yeah. Uh, see, I got to get on the, I got to get on the, 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 uh, the word, uh, the word game. Gasparilla Bowl, Marshall versus South Florida. I know we're getting into the weeds with some of these games, but hey, we got to give them credit to get into a bowl game. I'm going to go with Marshall on this one. Really, do think that they're a stronger, more dominant team, and they've obviously proven themselves in their conference that they can they can handle this bowl game. I don't know that there's a lot to talk about here. I think this is a, a Marshall game all day long, every day. But, uh, Matt, you may disagree with me. Go ahead. Still can't go over the fact that at one point in time, USF was the number two team in the country in the national polls. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense to me, but somehow they were. In uh, this one, I think the Thundering Herd find a way to get the job done. Another win for the MAC. Maction. Hey, what yeah. is it? Mac action? Mac action? Maxion. I want to get on. I want to get on that. I want to get that train. Mac action. Maction. All right. I'm going <laughs> to make that my word of the day. Maction. All right. Let's yeah, go. Here's another, here's another thing that will blow your mind is when you got these late games in the Pac-12, that's called Pac-12 after dark. That I did know. That I, I thought it was poker okay. after dark. What is it poker? Yeah, that's hey, poker we're referring guys, to. Guys, for don't NBC. talk about poker after dark here. This is, this is a family show. It's a family show, Rick. Come on, don't talk about poker after dark. We I'm digress. Take UBS, uh, you see how they uh, misunderstand me, folks? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, I'm going to take you uh, South Florida in this. Uh, the thing with the. Uh, South Florida is Charlie Strong has kind of entered that conference with that team at the time of the rise of UCF. Uh, so that has nothing to do with this game whatsoever. I'm just going to take USF. <laughs> Guys, I love this next game just because it's in the Bahamas on December the 21st. Who would not want to be in the Bahamas on December 21st? Might as well just stay there over Christmas. Butch Davis, though, really, and I'm going to go to you first on this because we like to talk about coaches. Butch Davis is a coach that should not be coaching at IU. Uh, not the Bahamas, but to a bowl game at the Bahamas Bowl. FIU versus Toledo. Not a lot to talk about here, but Butch Davis should be t- uh, having a much better coaching job than he does at FIU. But he is at FIU, and he's making the most of it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and uh, it's another team, a, another game with the with the word Max we can use here. Uh, I will take FIU Max in this in. because of Butch Davis. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think he's going to get his career turned around, and FIU is a, a great place to do it. Yeah, he's uh, one of those guys that, that you, you think would think would get an opportunity I don't want to say that better opportunity. That makes it sound like FIU is a bad school. It's not a bad well, school, but he's so bad at, at Tennessee, you know. So yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. And and the way that they let him flop around like a like a dying fish, uh, it was just amazing. And and that he, I just, I guess you could say fall fall from uh, what's the fall from victory or whatever they say. Matt, what are your thoughts? Butch Davis and FIU taking on Toledo in the Bahamas. Toledo. 
Woo, another hot take. Are you just going to let hang there? I <laughs> could go on and on about the problems with Butch Davis, but I, I'll just say Toledo, and we'll just uh, go on to the next game. Just go to the next game. Uh, we'll just go to the next game. All right, uh, the famous <laughs> Idaho Potato Bowl. Uh, Western Michigan versus BYU. Guys, you got to look at these two teams as two pretty good teams. This is going to be a good matchup. I go with BYU. Matt, what say you? Rick, you heard a couple of the people saying that Notre Dame in their off week, they should have played BYU. Was that is that a viable claim that they should have <laughs> to have the two independents play each other in the semi-championship games so that your... people shut up about them not having to play the last week? Earlier on in the show, the built-in loss, air quotes. Go ahead. Matt, I'll, I'll ask you this because I asked uh, Tom this right before you came on. Uh, for this 13th game that Notre Dame does not play, uh, BYU would probably make the most sense. But also, if you look at Alabama and Clemson and Georgia, they, there's, an, there's an FCS team on the schedule. It's an automatic built-in win. Uh, would people complain if Notre Dame – scheduled an FCS school during that college, yeah. you know, the, the conference championship week. Would, would that be sufficient enough and people would stop crying about Notre Dame only playing 12 games? Because we see these elite programs schedule an automatic win. Uh, why can't Notre Dame just do it? They have that 13th data point. That was supposed to be Ball State. The problem is the Ball State game was closer than it should have been. So they already had one in there. In oh, believe State. me, I know I was at that game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I would like that. to see uh, independent championship. They're going to make a big deal about it. Okay, put BYU on the schedule. Another quality win for Notre Dame, and that uh, should shut them up. Yeah, I Guys, agree. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know what? It may not be independent teams, but but that brings to a, the, the point of, of conversation. That's a perfect example, Just just as an example – as to at least look at six games, I, I like I like what Rick says. I think that we're, we're all in agreement that eight games is where we should be at. Obviously, it's a progression, but you would think that they got to get to the point where they got to start looking at six six teams. Get at the end of the day, there's still going to be two teams in the national championship. Who those two teams are could be determined by six teams. It just needs to be a better opportunity for other teams like BYU for an example, just using them as an example, but more like a UCF for this year, using it in the scenario of this year. But go ahead, Matt. Thing is, though, if you want Notre, to force Notre Dame to give up its independency, you do not want an expansion. Because if you expand the field to six to eight teams, that makes it easier for Notre Dame to get in, say, at 11 and 1, 10 or 10 and 2. So if you are one of those things that Notre Dame needs to join a conference, you do not want an expansion right now. Guys, let's also, move on. To, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, so let's go ahead. What I was saying earlier, also, Tom, is that it's like Notre Dame. Everybody thinks it's, it's an advantage because they only played 12 games, but I don't see it that way because it's like they already are coming into the season with a loss because Notre Dame cannot go 11 and one and make the top four. No, they have to go 12 and 0. The point being, as we talked about already, they should have the same schedule as everybody else. If they're going to be in the ACC, put it that way. They wanted to be in the ACC. They're there only for football, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, they should play the same schedule as every other ACC team. Why, why, why is that such a hard thing to comprehend? Well, they're not in the ACC full-time, so. But, uh, I'm, but, 
That, well, if you ask Kelly, and I'm not putting their words in their mouth, by being an independent, they can extend their recruiting base to nationwide. They could play games like they did in San Diego, Los Angeles, New York, et cetera. They, want to be, they do not want to be cut down to one specific region. And that has been their target, and that's why they declare and they desire to stay as an independent football. Now, they don't do that in the Olympic sports with the ACC, but they want to continue to have a nationwide footprint. They say the best way to do that is to stay an independent. That's just the way they view it. Now, granted, it may be old-fashioned, but until they could say, someone shows otherwise on that, they are going to stay an independent. It's it's all historical. I know it's all tradition. It's the Notre Dame football program. Guys, come on. Let's be real. Let's be real. Notre Dame is not going to have any problem recruiting if they were full-time in the ACC. Let's just be real about that. Notre Dame is an elite program. Anybody will want to play with them. They are not going to have a recruiting issue. And I think that NBC contract also, which is what they don't talk about, is a big factor. Yes. Because oh, you mean essentially you mean there's money involved? would want some of that money as well, and they wouldn't give it to them. All right, guys. We, we, we got off in the weeds a little bit here. Birmingham Bowl, though, guys, uh, Wake Forest, you got you to gotta look at them. Memphis, though. He, he, this is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, this has potential to be a very fun contest. That Memphis features one of the nation's top running backs in Darrell Henderson. I like Memphis in this matchup, but let's not forget that Wake Forest uh, certainly uh, showed that they – I know it was early. I know it was early, and I know it proved to be the quarterback turnaround moment for Notre Dame. But let's not forget what Wake Forest did to Notre Dame, and I know that's going to – I'm getting ready to hear it. I can hear it coming now. It was a different team then. It doesn't matter. Wake Forest beat Notre Dame. Go ahead. We'll start with you, Matt. Wake Forest actually, I think, has a chance in this game. Keep in mind, they Notre Dame played Brandon Wimbush. Well, if they want to beat Clemson, they may need to play Brandon Wimbush to get a running game going against that run defense. But until you look at the scenarios, Memphis at the same time is the closest team to knocking off UCF. So going by that, I'd say it's a toss-up. I guess I just got to toss a coin and say Memphis finds a way to beat Wake Forest. Oh, this is going to be a close one. This is probably going to be one of the closest bowl games. I, I, I'm predicting, you know, a 30-32, 30-33 type win, Rick. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm with you guys here, too. I think Memphis gets a close win uh, because of the reason Matt just said that they almost beat UCF. Now, in their conference championship game when they played again and uh, UCF had their backup in, uh, this wasn't looking pretty good for UCF at the beginning, but then they ended up winning by, I don't know, about two or three touchdowns in this game, which is really surprising. I don't know why Memphis fell apart. Maybe there's something that in that game Wake Forest can pick up on and it keeps this game close. But I, I do think even a Wake Forest, they, they do score a lot of points. I think Memphis gets it done in this game close. So I want to talk about one more game, and then I want to talk about some Notre Dame basketball, Purdue basketball, IU basketball, and Butler basketball all happening today here in Indianapolis. We got the Armed Forces Bowl. We have to end our bowl talk with the Armed Forces Bowl here on the balance. Obviously, everyone knows who I'm going to pick in this matchup. We'll go with you, Matt. Army beat Navy easily. They beat Air Force. Uh, Houston's going to be tough with their wide-open offense, but I think uh, 
Army's got enough juice in the tank uh, in the box to be able to find a way to win this game again. It's going to be another close one. I think Army can get the job done for West Point. Rick? Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, Ed Oliver's not going to be playing in this game for Houston, so uh, I think it's going to be Army. Uh, even though there was a big gripe that they don't have a shot at, them at a New Year's Six Bowl with their record, it's because of the schedule they play. I know, Tom, you don't like to hear about records. And uh, you know the schedule they play. I mean, how tough schedules are. But uh, that's the reason why. But I think Army finds a way to, to, to get it done here. They're going to control the clock. Uh, they just can't fall behind. All right, guys. Big uh, – I said it wrong, so I'll, I'm just going to say big classic matchup uh, here in Indianapolis. It's kind of like a home game at least for IU and Purdue at – Definitely a home game for Butler. This is fun. I, I, I know maybe it doesn't have the, the national appeal, but we're right here in the backyard of us, and we love us some basketball in Indiana. I, it's just who we are. I'm an IU guy. Obviously, IU basketball all the way. Uh, IU Butler, and I, I tell you what, man, those are like my two favorite teams going at it. Got to go for IU on this one. But I, I really uh, am going to enjoy watching some uh, college basketball today. IU versus Butler, Notre Dame versus Purdue. We'll start with you, Matt, because you're in Notre Dame country. Let's break down this year's squad. As we know, uh, Notre Dame basketball has made their way back to national prominence over the last couple of years. Notre Dame and Purdue, what say you, sir? Be curious to see what they do now that Robbie Carmody is out for the season with the leg injury. Uh, John Moody, if he could keep himself out of foul trouble, could be a factor. And uh, I think right now the question is, is the senior leadership from T.J. Gibbs and Rex Fluger uh, going to step up? Because even though Purdue only has one bona fide scoring threat in Carson Edwards, I think that's enough to overcome a young squad that should have beaten UCLA but blew the game late. Should have beaten Oklahoma, but blew the game late. And unfortunately, if it's close, I think Notre Dame is going to find a way to give away this game as well. I have Purdue winning it. I tell you what, this is going to be a good game. I'm excited to see all, all four of these squads on what they do throughout the year. Now that we're well, kind Tom, of it's merged. a good game. The problem is it's involving two teams, Notre Dame and Purdue, that I think are really dysfunctional right now. That's the problem. I mean, it's a good game in that standpoint because they're close, but. If you're looking for teams to make a run, potentially the NCAA tournament, or the Big Ten, or the ACC, these are not the two teams you would pick. Well, you you make an interesting point uh, about Purdue being kind of on shaky ground. Get your thoughts real quick on Matt Painter, but I think that he's got another couple years left there at Purdue. Well, he's got recruiting class, and that's the same thing they say about Mike Bray at Purdue, but right now you look at that roster, and besides Carson Edwards, who else on that roster scares you? I mean, Matt Harms is still a project, as far as I'm concerned, at center, and forwards, they're really weak in the area, and I don't know what they've got in terms of forwards, and then you look at Notre Dame, T.J. Gibbs needs to, you know, get a clue. I mean, he is a much-talented player. I don't know if he's just not a leader, if he can't be, carry the team or whatever the case is. Uh, you got the same question with Fluger. I mean, right now the guys that are doing damage are guys like Preston Hub, uh, Jawad Durham, and they're freshmen. You cannot expect freshmen like at, a, say, a Kentucky or a Duke or whatever you want to call it to carry a team right off the bat. And, unfortunately, Notre Dame just does not have – uh, the talent pool right now to say that this is a team 
that can make a run and win these type of big games. I mean, they've been in the running to win them. They just don't have the job to seal the deal. And unfortunately, even though, yeah, Purdue's not the greatest teams either, I don't think Notre Dame's going to have enough to give them. I mean, they'll keep it close, mind you, but they won't have a job to be able to seal the deal. And I think that's how Purdue wins this game. Rick, what are your thoughts? Purdue, Notre Dame basketball here in Indianapolis. Uh, certainly uh, uh, one of the classic matchups that we run all year long in, in basketball. IU, Butler, and then you've got Purdue and Notre Dame as well this evening. What are your thoughts, Purdue and Notre Dame? Yeah, I can't possibly break that game down better than what Matt just did because he st- actually stole like my answers for it. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but I, I think that uh, – it's two teams that are rebuilding or reloading or whatever you want to call it, you know, nowadays. So, but with Notre Dame giving away these games, they had one. Uh, I just feel like even though Purdue is dysfunctional, uh, I think they they are just built a little better right now for to win a, a close game than Notre Dame. I'm taking Purdue in this, uh, but both teams are rebuilding, and uh, just Notre Dame just looks the. They're both turds, turds, really, you know, but Purdue is just a less smelly one at this point. <laughs> you got to shine it up a little bit there, huh? All right, guys, let's move on over to this other exciting game. Two two great teams. I love myself, some IU. Let's talk a little bit, Rick. We'll start with you because I know you're an IU basketball guy anyway. Archie Miller, uh, and you've got Romeo. We say he's going to be a one and out, but we don't. I don't know. When he started the season, we thought it would just be a, a one and done, use and abuse him and be done with it. But I think – I don't know that he's going to be able to – I don't know that that's going to be the case, but either way, either which way, uh, Archie Miller, IU, they're, they're starting to, to mesh, starting to come together, uh, have had some great wins. As you look back at Marquette, have had some stupid losses. So they're kind of like either be good or bad, but don't be mediocre is the way we're at with this. We're still early on in the season, but they got a very mediocre, again, Butler squad. And it, I guess we say but, uh, mediocre for Butler because we're, 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 we're looking at the way Butler was a few years back to the way maybe they're put, just playing what Butler basketball does. Uh, but IU and Butler should be a very good matchup this afternoon. Yeah, just – well, I'll start with Romeo. Uh, you know, I, I wondered if he was really going to be in one and done. Uh, when he started, when the season started this year, because we watched his shooting just wasn't all that great. He looks really unstoppable. Anytime he wants to drive through the rim, uh, he does have some turnovers. His shooting wasn't all that great. But it looks like now uh, some of that's been getting squared away, and he's actually, I think he's projected to be number six in the draft. So just off that, yeah, he's going to be in one and done. Uh, IU starting off this year and even now, but you can just tell they haven't gelled quite yet. But they are trending that way. They they are they have other guys stepping up into their roles and doing a great job. And just in time too for the conference to get started here before too long. Uh, IU is going to gel. Uh, I think they were picked to finish fourth or something like that in the Big Ten. I actually think they're that might be about right for them. I can see them finishing top three maybe. Uh, but I I think this team is going to gel. I think the game today might be kind of close in the first half. But IU starts to pull to pull away in the second half. Well, go Hoosiers. We'll see what happens. Matt, we're going to give you the final word on this game as we got to uh, take a break and then get into some NFL talk with Ed Kratz. But go right ahead, uh, Matt. What are your thoughts on IU and Butler today here in Indianapolis? I think another player that you forget about is the kid from Riley, uh, Debezi Anderson. I think he could be a big factor in this ball game. 
But uh, I think, but you look at the game at Cameron. Was that just a case of IU getting, you know, first time having to deal with the Cameron Crazies or whatever the case was, kind of like what happened to Notre Dame? I think if a second time came through, I think Indiana would have had a better shot. But uh, I think uh, in this game, IU will win, but it'll be a lot closer than people think it will be. And then as you look at the Big Ten, I think even though Indiana is making stands, I think the team still to be in the Big Ten this year is Michigan State. Guys, we'll help you uh, segue us into the NFL conversation before we take a break. Big game for the Indianapolis Colts here at home. They got three games left. Obviously, huge win last week against Houston. Uh, disappointing loss on the week before that against Jacksonville. We saw the Chargers. Whoo, man, we did not want to see that loss uh, with Kansas City. So we need a lot of things come to together, and we just have to just go in and, and, and beat the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow. Matt, how does that happen? It's not going to happen. Uh, Dak Prescott is finally figured out how to be an NFL quarterback. It took a long time for them to do it, but he has found out how to do it even without uh, necessarily a super target. I mean, they have decent one in Amari Cooper and okay in Cole Beasley. I think Dak Prescott has finally jumped over the shark as far as getting out and making himself competitive in the NFL. And unfortunately, uh, even with Andrew Luck, I think uh, unless the Colts defense comes up big again, uh, I think Dallas finds a way to win this game. And unfortunately, and the Colts' chances to make the playoffs. Guys, don't don't forget, don't rule out who our defensive coordinator is and his relationship with Dallas. I mean, that could be a very key key thing. And let's let's face it, the Colts' defense is on point and in firing on all cylinders. Rick, would that Amari Cooper trade be like the, the best like midseason trade in all of football history? It has changed the, the way the Dallas Cowboys operate, and I say change. Unlike Jerry Jones's face. The Dallas Cowboys has pulled a 180. The Jerry Jones' face hasn't changed whatsoever. Has it in five years at least. But well, I, I, think, well, guys, uh, I think the Cowboys get it done. It, it, I'm sorry, Colts, Colts fans, but uh, it's just probably going to miss the playoffs this year because, you know, Andrew Luck coming back and things didn't go. Yeah, you got off to a full start, but I think the Cowboys got this one. Well, guys, we're going to have to wrap it up, put on a bowl on it. Uh, Matt, where can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? Again, Twitter at M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y, and uh, the big focus tonight, uh, headed over to the Penn Palace. Uh, Al Rhodes just off win number 600, but he's got a tough test for the boys, a top-ranked team against another top-ranked team in Michigan City, so that's where my focus is going to be tonight. Rick, I know you got to go get a haircut and everything, but you're more than welcome to stick around for some NFL talk uh, with Ed Kratz, uh, a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's say you Well, I'll hang around. I'll hang around if you if you if you'll have me. We'll have you, man. We'll have you. All right. Stand by, guys. <laughs> we'll be back with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia NFL contributor. Guys, the playoff picture is coming together. We'll be right back. <laughs> The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities, 
The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about it. And welcome back, my minions. My name is Tom Marquisell, President Day, 917-889-8516. One hour in the books, thanks to our executive producer, Rick Riggin, and our uh, one of our official college uh, uh, football contributors, uh, Matthew Embry from WSBST up in South Notre Dame. Helping us down bowl games and obviously Notre Dame and Purdue and IU and Butler today. We're going to get into some college hoopage as we as we move on down the lane and we'll get into some more of the bigger bowl games as we get closer to those uh, bowl games. But it's now time for the moment that you've all been waiting for, and that's NFL talk with our official NFL contributor Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Sports Exchange, www.footballmaven.io/eagles. Mr. Kratz, welcome aboard, sir. Uh, can you hear me? 
Rick, hello. you hear me? Hello. Can you hear me? All right. There hello. He hello. Hello. There we go. Hello. Yeah. The power Good morning, of gentlemen. How are you, sir? I am doing groovy, man. Just great. Hey, I How want you to inter- doing? How you doing, Rick? I want to. I, I was going to introduce you, Rick, because, because because you haven't talked to him in a while because he's he's got this snowflake life that he lives. <laughs> we had to publicly shame him, huh? Uh, Ed, are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> Uh, I, well, not really, no. Uh, but I'm getting there. I made a little progress this week, very little. So you typically you? hang out Ready? at the football. Um, Amazon's my friend. Yeah, the the ship now button has been sent, so it, it, it I am done. <laughs> uh, now, now, Ed, I know that I know that you are a a football guy, but you spent some time in some very good seats last week watching some college basketball. Any good takeaways? Yeah. Clemson, obviously, you were there. Any good thoughts, feedback you want to give us on the, those games? Well, Clemson was without their best player. Um, I think his last name was Lee. I can't remember, but he did not play in that game. And boy, I'll tell you what, that Mississippi State team, uh, I didn't know they were coached by Ben Howland, the former UCLA and Pitt coach. Yeah. They, yeah. they shoot the heck out of the ball. You know, they're, they're a good shooting team. I don't know what they did this week, but, you know, every time they put up, took a three, they, they hit it. I think they shot uh, close to 70% from three point. And, you know, Clemson was down near about 20% in that game. Uh, so uh, it was, you know, it was not a pretty display, although, you know, they kept it kind of close. They, but uh, Mississippi State kind of did a nice job shooting the ball, and Clemson didn't. So I like Mississippi State. I like the shooters they have on that team. Um, and then uh, Florida State looks like a tough team. They're a good inside-out type of team. Um, they beat UConn in the second game. But uh, I came away impressed with Florida State, too. And they were in, I think they were ranked 11th at that point. I'm not sure what they did this week. But, uh, you know, they look good. Uh, they look like they have a pretty good, uh, older, experienced type of team that might make some noise in the tournament. Well, guys, let's uh, get into this. Uh, my second favorite team in the in the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. I've been rooting for them for two reasons. One, because I'm a Chiefs fan, and two, because their win helps us if we could just keep the the, the, the progression moving and we need to take care of Baltimore. But we'll get into that in just a minute. We see... I still want to say San Diego Chargers, but it's the L.A. Chargers. Just a complete about face. I'm going to let you break this down for us. I'm going to tell you what, if I'm a Kansas City Chief fan, oh, wait, I am. The officiating sucked in that game. So we'll start with you, Ed. Break that game down by the numbers. How did San Diego manage to come back and beat uh, Kansas City without the help of some officiating? Go ahead. <laughs> well, you could say the officiating's been pretty horrible in a lot of games this year. Um, True. You know, I just I just don't know how the NFL can go forward with the system they have with their officiating. I mean, we saw it uh, on, on, a, on a blocked field goal in the uh, Seattle-Minnesota game. And, uh, you know, I could just kind of go down the list of some of the bad calls we've seen this year. So, um, you know, you have to kind of overcome that stuff. And, you know, I think the Chargers' key to that win – uh, it was just some resiliency. You know, they were playing in a hostile environment, a place they hadn't won in, I think, nine straight games, nine years. They hadn't won in Kansas City, and uh, Phillip Rivers had always played very badly in, in Kansas City. And he didn't have a very good first half either. He threw a couple sloppy interceptions. But, uh, you know, in that second half, uh, you know, they really kind of uh, turned things around, and, and Phillip Rivers was able to find some guys who were pretty open too. Some of those guys were – we're open. I know on that two-point conversion pass to Mike Williams, he was pretty open. And I know the Chiefs had, uh, 
Uh, I think Kendall Fuller is his name, the cornerback who was playing with, I think, a broken wrist in the second half. So that may have impacted him, and I, I think he might be uh, heading to IOR. I'm not sure, which will really hurt the Chiefs if uh, Fuller has to miss any time here, which it looks like he will. So, um, you know, I just think that the Chargers showed some resiliency, and that's something that has been missing from that team probably since Philip Rivers got there is that resiliency and that will to come back. And, you know, that was a huge win for them. And, uh, you know, you don't know what kind of effect that could have on them once January hits, but I would think that that gives them some momentum and some real confidence going into the postseason, beating the Chiefs in Kansas City. And on the flip side of that, Kansas City, uh, you know, here we go with Andy Reid again. You know, we saw it in Philadelphia for 14 years. He always took the team right to the NFC Championship game, and then they they petered out. uh, You know, some of the reason for that was the defense. You know, he kind of neglects the defense a little bit. And, you know, we may may be seeing some of that with the Chiefs. Um, You know, their defense had a letdown, and that's kind of what's happened sometimes, you know, in Andy Reid's seasons here in Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, until Andy Reid wins the big one, I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame coach. You know, he's won a lot of games in the league. He might be, but – uh, you know, this probably is his best chance to win a Super Bowl. Of course, we said that a few times in Philadelphia, too. So, um, you know, they have to come back and they have to rebound from this game and, and kind of put it behind them and try to finish the season up strong to give them some confidence going into the playoffs. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, by, by no means does it put the, the Kansas City Chiefs out, but you just you just kind of felt the uh, – the air being deflated from them uh, as that as that loss happened on and you know I always love to listen to the radio broadcast because I'm a radio guy and when you listen to the passion of of the the announcers and you could just hear the deflated uh, well not as bad as uh, New England getting beat by Miami last week but that's neither here nor there <laughs> but you could just hear you could just hear the the disappointment if you will Rick Kansas City Chiefs uh, the L A Chargers Philip Rivers finally wins a playoff game, finally wins when it counts. Andy Reid not doing exactly what he should be doing. Well, we don't know yet. We'll see. As Ed just said, we'll see. But as, as, we, as we've seen with, with Andy Reid, Eric, not always the best scenario in late December and January, Rick. Yeah, we're so distracted by, like, how great Patrick Mahomes has been this year that we don't even look at. The Chiefs, uh, they give up some points on defense. I think it's a lot of points, and that doesn't look great going into the playoffs. They should have lost last week against the Ravens, honestly, in overtime. Uh, they give up a lot of points, more points than I'm comfortable with, even though they put up a lot of points. Uh, but Tom, all hope is not lost because uh, they do own the tiebreaker against the Chargers. Uh, they still are the number one team. Uh, they still have the home field advantage, but they cannot slip up anymore. Well, absolutely, and we're getting into to, to crunch time. We're going to talk about the the, the uh, Cowboys and the uh, Colts, but I do want to talk about last week's game, uh, the Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Rick, I know that it was a very irritating game at best, if you if you, if you will, and I just. I was like, oh, they're going to come back. They're going to do it. And my favorite team in the NFC is the Eagles, and I live vicariously uh, with them through you. Uh, but certainly, let's break down what happened with the Dallas Cowboys and what does the whole thing to do to get ready for that same Look at it from the Eagles' sideline, uh, side what was going on. Now we're worried about Carson Wentz and his back. Uh, talk with us a little bit about what's going on with the Eagles. 
Well, it looks like Nick Foles is going to quarterback Sunday night's game against the Rams, which is <laughs> not necessarily you know, a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've, we've kind of come full circle. You know, Went, although, you know, Wentz did start that game in L.A. last year that the Eagles won uh, in a shootout, 43-35. to 35, And, you know, Carson threw four touchdown passes, including one after he tore the two ligaments in his knee. <clears throat> and that fourth one, he, that set the uh, single-season record for most touchdowns. Uh, in a single season by the uh, an Eagles quarterback with 33, breaking Norm Sneed's record set back in 1967. Um, but he got hurt, and Foles had to come in and finish the job, and, you know, he did. He made a couple key completions on third down uh, to keep the Rams' offense off the field, and he kind of landed that, that plane, if you will, uh, and brought home the win, and that clinched the NFC East for the Eagles. Um, so we're going to see Nick Foles Sunday night. I think we're going to see Nick Foles the rest of the year, although – I got to tell you, it was a very strange press conference that Doug Peterson had on Friday morning. Uh, on one hand, he mentioned that this is a three-month back injury that Carson's going to need uh, to get better from, and it's a fracture, a stress fracture in his back. Um, but on the other hand, he's only listed as questionable, so he hasn't been ruled out for the game. Actually, he's listed as doubtful now. But but Doug said Friday morning before that injury report came out that he would be questionable, so um, now he's doubtful. But uh, it was just kind of an odd press conference. You know, Doug tried to cut off questions about Carson Wentz after about two minutes, and uh, yet we kept asking the questions, and he kept answering them. And for about 10 or 11 <laughs> minutes, that whole press conference was about Carson Wentz. So, um, you know, it's a concern that Wentz is now hurt again after uh, being hurt last year with a knee. Two years ago, he broke a rib uh, in preseason. He did play all 16 games in the regular season, but he did break the rib in the summer of his rookie year, and then he came off his senior year at North Dakota State with uh, a broken wrist. So, uh, you know, that's four straight years now that Wentz has not been able to uh, stay healthy, uh, and, and that's a concern. And this is why the Eagles did not trade Nick Foles in the offseason. Uh, part of it was because they weren't sure when Wentz would be back from the knee injury. He came back in week three, and Nick played the first two games. Uh, but now going forward, you have to wonder uh, if Carson can stay healthy. And you know, you have to look at his contract situation. He's now been in the league for three years. He's eligible to renegotiate his rookie deal after three years. So there was a school of thought that the Eagles would try to lock him up this offseason. But now you wonder uh, what that does. Will they try to say, look, you haven't stayed healthy? Uh, we'll give, you know, will you be willing to accept a kind of a cut rate deal, if you will, instead of that $30 million uh, contract uh, per year that you might be looking for? Uh, you know, we're only going to offer you 22 or 23 until you show us you can. Uh, stay healthy, and maybe that money escalates, uh, you know, after two or three years. So, uh, you know, it's a whole tricky situation. It's going to be something that, you know, I'm going to be following and writing about probably from here till, you know, springtime. Uh, but, uh, you know, it impacts the Eagles for sure uh, Sunday night with Nick Foles coming in. But the team's confident in him. They talked all week about, you know, Nick being able to get the job done. He's the reigning Super Bowl MVP. So, you know, why wouldn't you have faith that Nick Foles can come in and get this job done on Sunday night? Well, if I if I was an Eagles fan, I would I would not be worried uh, at all by Nick Foles coming in and, and taking the helm. Rick, what do you got uh, for Ed uh, here? I know that you've been worried about your boy Golden Tate. Is, are they using him uh, enough? You've got the Bills coming up. What are your thoughts? We'll talk a little bit about your Lions, but anything you've got or questions you have uh, for Ed? That's not really questions. I was just going to say I'm going to be on the Eagles rest of the year now. This is the exact same formula of success. 
that they used last year. Of course, the Wentz takes you seven-eighths of the way, then you bring in Foles to get the job done. Foles is now probably going to be a back-to-back Super Bowl MVP, and now the Eagles are going to have a, uh, a, a really hard decision. Uh, keep on uh, going with Wentz or with Foles, because uh, now all these teams are going to be like yeah, great white sharks coming after Foles now, because he's going to be a back-to-back Super Bowl MVP. Hey Rick, have, have you have you swapped have you swapped out your Tate jersey yet? <laughs> my what? My <laughs> I said, have you swapped oh, out jersey? your photo Tate? <laughs> hey, I was uh, texting Ed, or yeah, you know, I was like, hey, can you ask the uh, Josh Adams? I was more worried about Josh Adams than I am Golden Tate. You know, mm-hmm. if he still has a thirty-three trucking hat there in Philly now, he looked pretty good since he kind of came in. I don't know if he's officially had the starter or what, but he's been playing a lot a lot of minutes lately, so I think he looks pretty hey. good. Ed, didn't you post a video yeah, with him? I, I, yeah, yeah, I talked to Josh. Uh, I talked yeah, to Josh a video. Sometimes video. But you posted. I did. Didn't you post a video? Okay, I, I, I didn't think I was crazy there, but go ahead, Rick. I mean, Ed. <laughs> yes, I did. I did post a video of Josh. A great, a great kid. You know, he he doesn't give you a whole lot. Um, you know, he's well schooled in that uh, media relations class they probably teach. Uh, all four years at Notre Dame, how to deal with the media. So he doesn't give you a whole lot. He gives you good answers, good, you know, <clears throat> but nothing controversial. Um, you know, I like Josh, good kid. Uh, it's kind of curious. The you know the Eagles really didn't run him last week. They kind of got away from the running game. And um, you know, coming into that game against Dallas, Josh Adams had 20 carries, and then I think he had 22 against the Giants and 20 against the Redskins. And the Eagles won both games. And you know, it's a it's a stat that the Eagles have when they run the ball 27 or more times in a game, they're 6-0. and When they don't run at that number, they're 0-7. So, you know, I don't know why they're not getting Josh Adams more involved, uh, you know, with carrying the ball. He broke off some big runs early against Dallas, uh, and then they kind of got away from him. So, uh, I think they only had 14 running plays, and it's not like that game was out of hand where they had to throw it all the time. But um, they just the Eagles just chose not to run the ball, and that, that's perplexing to me. And, you know, Josh Adams is a kid that's gotten better each week. I'm still not sure he's the kind of the prototype NFL running back these days that can catch the ball out of the backfield as easily as he can run it. We really haven't seen them target him much in the past game. Doug Peterson says he has good hands and he can catch, but again, they're not throwing on the ball. So we really don't uh, have a body of work to look at from in that regard. But, um, but I like Adams. I like him, you know, what he gives on the field. And I like what he, you know, what he stands for off the field. Um, and Golden hey, State, hey, I don't know. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I always felt like the knock against uh, Josh Adams is that for running back, he's really tall. He's really big. He's, what, he's 6'3". He's more of a stand-up runner, which is also kind of not the prototypical NFL running back. Uh, I've always felt like, uh, you know, at Notre Dame, they didn't use him much in the passing game, so I never really knew how they could use him in the passing game. But I always thought the knock against him was just because of how big he is, how tall he is, and how much of a stand-up runner he is. Yeah, right. you know, and, right, and, and, Oh, I was just going to say, I don't. I know you were watching the TV broadcast, uh, but uh, I don't know if you heard uh, any of the uh, radio broadcast. But the radio broadcast goes, well, if this doesn't work out for the Eagles, the 76ers could sure use him. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Adams, I don't know. Has he ever played basketball? I, I don't. I think uh, he I'm played some sure in college, that. but I think they were just making a, yeah. a, a thing about it. He is a very tall running back. Go ahead. Yes, he, he is a tall one. But he um, – but, but what was I going to say about Adams? Um, the thing with him, and I think this is where, where maybe the Eagles don't use him right, is 
the Eagles run a lot of plays out of the shotgun, and they have him lined up next to uh, Wentz, or I guess it'll be Foles on Sunday, and they give him the ball out of that formation. To me, Josh Adams is the kind of kid that has to take the ball uh, with your quarterback under center. You know, you get a good head of steam uh, running toward the offensive line uh, when you take the handoff, and you've already kind of reached full, you know, not full speed, but you've reached a pretty good, uh, <clears throat> pretty good acceleration in that seven-yard span when you take the handoff. But the Eagles don't really do a lot of under center with their quarterback and run out of that formation. So, you know, they're kind of giving the ball to Adams as he's standing there, and then he has to start the run. Uh, and you're seeing him kind of look a little hesitant sometimes when he gets to the line uh, to try to find the hole, whereas he's not getting it with a head of steam. So, you know, again, I'm not sure they're using him right. I think that the Eagles are probably going to end up uh, drafting a running back or maybe making a play for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, in the off season, I don't know, but I think they're going to try to bring in a running back um, because I'm not sure they're a using Adams right, and I'm not sure he can catch the ball. So um, we'll see. Uh, he, he certainly, if he's not the number one running back, he's certainly a good depth type of a running back who can come in and kind of be a little bit of a changeup for you. So you know, it's interesting. You know, the Eagles haven't been able to run the ball. He was on the practice squad, Josh Adams, to start the year. If you remember the first two games before they activated, and he was on the practice squad. And then Jay Ajayi got hurt, uh, and they had to bring him up. So, um, I like him. We'll see what the Eagles do going forward at that spot, though. All right, let's uh, get into the uh, uh, playoff picture talk, if you will, how it's coming together. We'll start with uh, the AFC only because it's the AFC, and that's where the Colts are. We'll start backwards, though. I mean, who would have thought, who would have thunk, starting the year with the Cleveland Browns, someone uh, somehow underneath the radar that they could uh, well, they're not going to win the AFC North, but there is a small possibility that they'll at least be in the wild card chase, if you will. We don't want them anywhere near it, but they could get there. And Pittsburgh's loss to Oakland, how embarrassing was that? And Pittsburgh may not even get into the playoffs, uh, and, and we'll see if their coach is on the hot seat. We'll get in the hot seat uh, talk. We'll work backwards. Then you've got Miami Dolphins, that win against uh, New England. As I said, un-freaking believable. I think the world, I, I think I felt the earth shake underneath my feet uh, when, the, uh, when, they, when the Dolphins uh, beat the Patriots. How exciting was that? Tennessee Titans are a thorn in our side. We need to totally, uh, I mean, we have to beat them, obviously, uh, but uh, they're, they're just a thorn in, in the side. And then you've got us, the Indianapolis Colts, seven and six. We finish against the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Titans. I have to say, I'm most worried about the Cowboys. I think the other two will, will take care of themselves. We don't even know if the Giants are going to play Eli because, I mean, they may not even want to play play him. So that might not even be an issue. The Baltimore Ravens. Can we all join hands together and sing "Kumbaya" that we hate the Baltimore Ravens? At least if you're on my side of the fence. Ed, what say you? Well, uh, I, I like the Ravens. Um, you know, I like their coach, Harbaugh. He spent some time in Philadelphia as a special teams uh, coordinator. Um, well I'm sorry, you're getting disconnected there, Ed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just yeah, I, hate, I, hate to, uh, I hate to say it to you, but uh, I, I do like the Ravens. But listen, I love the Colts, too. You know, I'm, I'm pulling for them. Uh, unfortunately, they had that miracle in Miami last week. Otherwise, you know, the Dolphins are at six and seven, and you know, the Colts at seven and six would be ahead of them. So, uh, you know, that miracle in Miami was a disaster in Indianapolis because, it, you know, it didn't help them. But, um, you know, uh, the Ravens, you know, them and the Steelers are going to 
probably you know they're still battling to win that uh, that AFC uh, uh, division there. So uh, you know you're right. The Steelers might not make the playoffs. It's it's really kind of muddled. And you mentioned the Browns in there. Um, you know they're not. I don't think they're quite ready. They have a big game with the Broncos, who they're kind of still in the uh, wild card race too. But uh, right now, I think the three teams that have seven wins. Actually, it's it's more than that. The Steelers have seven. Uh, the Ravens have seven, and then you have Dolphins, Colts, and Titans each with seven. So, um, you know, the Colts have a big game, obviously, with the Cowboys uh, on Sunday. Um, I wish that game was the night game instead of the Eagles and the Rams. I, I think that the Cowboys-Colts has more appeal to it um, because I like the way the Colts are playing. That's a, that was a big win in Tennessee. Uh, you know, we talked about the Colts two weeks ago when they kind of laid an egg against the Jaguars at home and then going out on the road – last week in Houston uh, could be beneficial to them to kind of get some of that pressure off. They're a young team. Um, they're still trying to learn to win. So here they are back at home again. Uh, and you hope that they kind of learned their lesson two weeks ago against Jacksonville and they don't get too tight and they don't get, you know, they don't tense up in front of the home crowd and they're able to play free and easy and, and get a win here against the Cowboys because they need it. Um, but you know, it's, it's, they're right there. The Colts are right there. Um, you know, I like the position that they're in. Even if it doesn't result in a playoff berth this year, I think this will leave them hungry going into 2019. So, really, the Colts, it's already been a win-win for the Colts this year. Rick, I know you've got to hop off here. Any final thoughts? We're going to get to Mo. He's uh, joined us as well. But go ahead, Rick. Uh, my final thought is just I hate the Browns' business plan this year. It's the first time I, since I can remember they're not going to get a number one pick now in the draft. Uh, I don't know what they're thinking. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're just happy to be winning I, I just like there's three games left of the season and there's like a small hint of hope of them uh, making a push for a wild card spot I know it's not going to happen but just the thought of where we are in the season now and the Browns still have like a chance to make the playoffs I think it's really awesome I think Baker Mayfield's great for Cleveland and that's that's my final thought for them. All right, we bid you a good week, sir. We'll make sure that uh, we follow you at Rick underscore Riggin. Is, is that right? That is correct. Is that right? That's right. All right, buddy. We'll yes, talk sir. with you soon. See you, Rick. Good talking All to right. you. Yep, see you. Thanks, guys. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us uh, with Ed, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor and beat writer for the NFL. Well, you you cover, you cover the, the Browns. That's kind of your, your territory, your area. What are your thoughts about the Browns? You know I've always said on this show, be good or be bad, but don't be mediocre. They're kind of falling in that. They're they're kind of like a, a, a guy that hasn't dated in a while, and he's finally starting to get dates. Bring them on. Go ahead. What are your thoughts there, Mo? Yeah, I mean, normally that is the thing, be good or be bad, but for the Browns, you know, this is a, technically a good season for them. The scariest part for me is the fact that, you know, there's talk that the Browns uh, could possibly – depending on how they finish out, name Greg Williams the permanent head coach, and I think that would be a disaster for that football team. Uh, you just look at last week when he decided to accept the penalty instead of the good extra point, and that could have cost them. It didn't, but it could have. So uh, I, I think that's the scariest part of this Browns team for me at this point is if you know that there's, there's thoughts uh, of possibly naming Greg Williams the permanent football head coach there in Cleveland. I think that would be a gigantic mistake. Uh, I think he would be a – going to be a great uh, defensive coordinator for them, but I don't think he, that's where the Browns should go moving forward as a head coach. We're going to get into the NFC uh, playoff picture here in just a moment, but I, you, you have the unique uh, part of the country, if you will, where you get to, to cover two NFC teams. Bears is another team that, that you pay a lot of attention to. 
the Chicago Bears coming into their own, their own right. Let's talk about their spot. What are you guys talking about with the Chicago Bears? Uh, obviously, a, a big win against the Vikings on Monday. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, for the Bears, obviously their defense is phenomenal. Uh, they've uh, they've got uh, a decent running game, but you know I think it's uh, can Mitchell Trubisky step up and make big plays and big moments and not turn the ball over uh, as much as he did last week in order to keep the uh, Bears competitive as they move into the playoffs. You know, three turnovers, three interceptions in a game is not going to cut it in the playoffs. So I think the big hope for the Bears is that uh, you know Mitchell Trubisky will can uh, you know help them uh, win games and not uh, add to them losing games. So, you know, just. Uh, continue to develop and hopefully uh, not uh, not continue to turn the ball over so much. I did have that right, didn't I? Was it the Bears? The last game the Bears played was against the Vikings, and they won. Did I have that right? Uh, let's see, they beat the uh, they beat the Rams. The Rams. Rams. Last. Okay, I'm sorry. My fault. Either which way, I didn't change the question. I don't know why I had the Vikings in my mind. I I don't know. Maybe I was thinking about Green Bay and Vikings. Anyway, Ed, pull me out here. Pull me, pull me ashore, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this: who, who thought, you know, back in August that the Packers and the Browns would both have the exact same record with a tie on their on their schedule too? Browns and Packers were both five seven and one, and you know, who saw that coming? Not me. Um, but you know, I, I, Mo's right. If, if the Browns aren't careful, careful, this little winning uh, streak that they're on is going to lead to Greg Williams being hired. And, you know, I'm always a proponent of a head coach being an offensive-minded guy. I think the way, uh, you know, this league is heading with points, uh, you know, they're really handcuffing the way defenses are allowed to play. So I, I think, you know, to me, if I'm an owner, I'm hiring an offensive coordinator to run my team uh, to be the head coach just because that's just kind of the way I feel. It's just that you got to learn how to score points. And, you know, they have a young quarterback in Baker Mayfield that you want to develop. Um, I think Greg Williams would make a great uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, and, you know, I, I like Freddie Kitchens. I mean, Mo, I mean, look look what he's been able to do. Um, you know, I don't think he's ready to be a head coach by any means. But, you know, I would make Greg Williams my D coordinator if he would have it. Um, but you never know. He might get offered another head coaching job if the Browns don't choose to hire him. Um, but, you know, I like the way the Browns are trending. Um Clearly, if they if they find the right guy to be the head coach, they could you know certainly uh, make a real strong playoff run next year uh, with the talent they have on on that on that team. So um, you know I, I like the I like the way the Browns are playing and the Packers they have a big game against the Bears. You know they're kind of still sniffing around in that wild card uh, position in the NFC. Um, you know they certainly need help to get there at five seven and one. They have uh, you know three teams ahead of them in the hunt with six wins. Um, but it's not out of the question. You know, they made that coaching change, and, you know, they came out of that coaching change with a win. So, you know, maybe that coaching change will spur them on, and they win their final uh, handful of games here and see where that gets them. Um, it's a long shot, but it's still a shot. Uh, and if you're the Bears, you're playing well. You like the way that defense is playing. They held the Rams to six points uh, last week. Um, now they're going into, I believe that game's in Lambeau. It'll be, a, you know, a, a good test. But, you know, that defense is awfully tough to crack for the Bears, and, you know, we'll see if Aaron Rodgers can do it. Let's get into this NFC uh, picture talk while I still got both of you on the line. We'll start with you. Obviously, uh, New Orleans Saints have, have opened the door wide open. Uh, they they hold the, the tiebreaker over the Rams. Uh, Rams have got a, a matchup against the Eagles, and, and uh, obviously uh, – 
because Ed's on. We're rooting for the Eagles, but you got to be excited about what the Rams are doing uh, as well. And then, of course, as Ed mentioned, and you get mentioned the Bears, and you've got the Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Vikings, the Panthers, uh, the Eagles, the Redskins, all uh, in the in the hunt, if you will. But certainly, uh, it looks like you know it's going to come down to the Rams uh, winning the NFC. Uh, we would think anyway at this point. So, Mo, as you look at the NFC playoff picture, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's some jockeying, you know, at the bottom of that, uh, the playoff picture. I mean, to me, at this point, I, I would hate if I'm a, a team at the top of the NFC to see the Seattle Seahawks make it in there. I, I think they're playing pretty good football. This defense uh, has really uh, come around. You know, you look at all the, the losses this defense has suffered over the past few years, and uh, it's pretty incredible what they've uh, what they've done uh, this year. And Russell Wilson continues, minus the last game, continues to be pretty amazing. So if I'm a team at the top of the NFC, the last thing I want to do is see the Seattle Seahawks, I think, uh, make their way into the NFC playoffs. What are your thoughts, Ed, on the NFC uh, playoff picture and how it's shaping up? Yeah, I agree with that. The Seahawks are uh, they're playing well. You know, they have eight wins, and right now, if the season ended, they would be in Dallas for the uh, opening round of the playoffs, um, which would be, you know, that'd be a fun matchup. I'd like to see that defense go against uh, Zeke Elliott and uh, Amari Cooper. Um, but, yeah, the Seahawks, uh, they're looking good. Um, but then you look at that sixth seed, that's still way up for grabs. The Vikings are in position right now uh, to be that sixth seed, um, which would bring them to Chicago if form holds right now in the opening round of the playoffs. Um, but, you know, the Vikings are going to be tested. They they have to go at least 2-1 and one over these final three games. And I think one of those wins is going to happen against the Dolphins this week. Um, you know, they should be able to beat the Dolphins, so that will strengthen that positioning. Um, you know, and then you look at the teams in the hunt. The Panthers haven't won a game in, you know, over a month. Um, so I don't think you can really count them. The Eagles, you know, here we go with the Nick Foles show again. Um, it's a lot different situation Foles is stepping into this year than he did last year. Last year he, he stepped in and won the game at the end that gave the Eagles the NFC East. Right now the Eagles need to win out or at least go 2-1 and one and get help to try to sneak into the playoffs. I don't think that's going to happen, and the Redskins, uh, also in that mix, they're, who the heck knows who their quarterback is going to be, Mark Sanchez or Josh Johnson or, or, or Mo or Tom or whoever. I mean, whoever it is, it just isn't going to be good enough. So uh, right now the Vikings are in the driver's seat. That You know, they just need to kind of win a couple more games to, to lock that down. So I expect that they will. And they'll probably be the sixth seed, and the Seahawks really can't move a whole lot. I don't. They're not going to catch the Rams. They're three games behind the Rams. So right now I think things are kind of set in the NFC. Um, you know, as far as this, the playoffs go, the AFC, completely different story. So, so some quick thoughts, guys, that why we still got you on the horn here. Um, Mo, the six teams that are sitting in the playoffs right now are likely to be the teams that finish that way. As, as Mo mentioned about the Panthers, which sucks because my granddaughter is the biggest Panther fan in the world, uh, and she's got some uh, Panther stuff coming her way. Uh, the Panthers, though, have uh, two games remaining against conference leading, uh, one of them against the Saints. Uh, the Eagles, as, as he mentioned, as Ed mentioned, Mo, uh, they, they, you know, going to have to go forward without Carson Wentz. And the Redskins are leaning on Josh Johnson, who was recently drafted by something called an AAF. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, uh, it's the quarterback issues, uh, especially uh, in the NFC East, are sad to see for teams that uh, we were hoping to make a push towards the playoffs. Uh, you know, uh, Nick Foles, uh, at least the, the Eagles uh, have Nick Foles to step in uh, for Carson Wentz. Uh, like I said, it's a much different situation this year. But, 
uh, you know, somewhat have to feel a little bit bad for the Redskins, who were playing pretty well, had a decent record, were leading that division, and then uh, all hell breaks loose, and they uh, lose not one but two quarterbacks to the to the broken leg. So, uh, you know, it, that that part alone is, is, is sad to see, because you like to see teams make that final push for the playoffs, and unfortunately we're going to see two teams in the NFC doing it without their starting quarterbacks. Ed, if the, if the stands hold, uh, the Vikings and Bears will play for their third team this season during the wild card weekend. And they also, I believe, and one of you guys correct me on this, I think they end their season with the Bears. So it's a very good possibility that they could end their season with the Bears and start the playoff season with the Bears. Am I correct on that, Ed? Uh, yes, I guess that's their final regular season game, Vikings-Bears. Is that... I believe that's the case. Yeah, I know we saw that. I think we saw that a few years ago with the Eagles and the Cowboys. They played each other in the final regular season game. Cowboys won. The Eagles went to Dallas in the opening round, and the Cowboys won again. So, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Um, You know, obviously two teams that would be very familiar with each other. Uh, So you just line up, and whoever executes best is going to win that game. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't really like it. I don't like seeing a, a rematch in you know one one week after the team's just played. But you know it is what it is, and you can't avoid it if, if that's the way it shakes out. Well, the other wild card game would feature uh, another rematch: the Seahawks uh, visiting the Cowboys as well. So uh, we'll see how, how that plays out. Mo, if the Rams finish with second seed, the only team the Rams can't play would be a sixth seed Vikings. The top. Seed. Uh, plays uh, the lowest remaining seed, meaning that the Saints would get the play on the wild card weekend. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, the Saints uh, playing at home is a, is a scary thing to to think about for any team going in there. Uh, you know, Drew Brees hasn't been phenomenal in, in, at all in these last three games, but at home, uh, the Saints uh, always uh, seem to bring it. So when you look at uh, the, the task of going into New Orleans, into that dome, and playing that speedy offense to me would be uh, uh, something I wouldn't be looking forward to. I, I think the Saints will uh, definitely hold uh, serve at home this their first game in the playoffs. Dad, I know you got to go here in just a moment, so I'll just throw some games out here and you just kind of give me your thoughts. Uh, you've got uh, the Packers at the Bears and the Seahawks at San Francisco and the and the and the Cowboys at the Colts. What are your thoughts on the on that trio there? Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to the Colts. Uh, yeah, the Colts and the Cowboys. I want to see how that game plays out. You know, the Cowboys obviously they're red hot, winners of five in a row. I mean, it was a month ago when everybody was speculating, you know, when Jason Garrett would get fired, and now here they are, uh, eight and five, um, haven't lost since then. And uh, I, you know, the Colts need this win. I want to see how they react at home. You hope that they don't feel too tight and too tense, like maybe they were two weeks ago when they lost to the Jags. So. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to that game. And then, you know, that Seahawks and that 49ers game, I, you know, I just think the Seahawks are playing real well right now. Um, you know, and I, I just think that the, the, the 49ers won't be too much of a match for them. But, but you never know. I mean, it's in San Francisco. It's not in Seattle where they always seem to play well. So, um, you know, San Francisco could have a shot. But the way Seattle's playing, I, I just don't see them losing this game. And um, well, I forget the other game you mentioned there, uh, Tom. I mentioned Seattle and San Francisco, Green Bay, and the Bears. Oh, yeah, Green Bay. Yeah, well, you know, Green Bay, you know, uh, and the Bears. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, they still have a very slim chance, the Packers, and it's, it's at Lambeau. So, um, you know, division game. 
they fired McCarthy. They played well in the first game without McCarthy. They, if they can keep it up and upset the Bears, then, you know, maybe they sneak into that, you know, get a little closer in the wild card race. It's a long shot uphill battle. But, you know, obviously the Packers are still playing for something, and I expect them to show that. Well, we got a couple games uh, today, uh, and I know you got to go, uh, Ed, but where can people find you in your masterpieces, sir? Yeah, you can hit me on Twitter at Kratze, K-R-A-C-Z-E, uh, or you can check out my site that I do with the Sports Exchange. It's uh, the www.footballmaven.io slash eagles. So it's going to be interesting, man, for today's game. Uh, go Jets, go Broncos. I'm just saying. Thanks, Ed. We'll talk <laughs> with you soon. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Right. Mo, uh, real quickly, I know we've only got you for a limited more amount of time as well. But today's game, we've got uh, the the Houston uh, uh, Houston Texans against the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns and the Broncos. I, I tell you what, I mean, just because of the AFC South and just because we just we need to build that strength and that padding. But does, can the Jets win at home against the Houston Texans? I mean, anything's possible. I just, you know, it took everything the Jets had last week to, to beat the Bills. Uh, it's hard to see Houston coming off a loss and, uh, you know, knowing that they need to continue to win uh, to, to see them losing to the Jets. I mean, anything's possible. I, I don't see it happening. But the Browns and those. Well, I mean, you know, the Browns come in uh, riding high as they continue to win football games. Uh, you know, the Broncos are tough at home, and it'll be interesting to see uh, Baker Mayfield and how uh, the Browns adapt to, the obviously, the altitude, uh, but also, uh, you know, a running game that's been pretty uh, incredible for this Broncos with uh, with uh, Philip Lindsay. So I, I would say that, you know, as far as the Colts go, I think you want a Browns victory just because you want uh, Denver to take that one, that last nail in the coffin that knocked him out of playoff contention for a wild card in the AFC. Got some college hoops going on here in Indianapolis, some big matchups. Notre Dame and Purdue, uh, both of them right now are kind of a, which turn do you polish more? And then you've got IU and you've got uh, Butler. Uh, IU, uh, Romeo, we, we we think is going to be a one and out. Art Miller has got finally getting their teams to mesh again. You, you look at the details of two different teams from when they beat Marquette to when they're coming in to play Butler today. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on these uh, uh, two big games as, as far as – here in Central Indiana to follow, and that's IU and Butler and Purdue and Notre Dame. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Purdue has been underwhelming, uh, to say the least, so far. Uh, you know, they're a team that uh, still got uh, some pretty darn good players on there, including Carson Edwards, who, uh, you know, was a pick to be uh, probably the Big Ten player of the year early on. And then uh, you look at uh, you look at IU and Butler. For IU, I think they've got to continue try to hold down on the turnovers uh you know you saw the the turnovers uh against duke especially just you know get completely out of hand and uh you know they did a much better job against louisville last week not turning the ball over so much uh but the one thing that has killed uh, iu so far and it was almost a detriment last week uh were the missed free throws iu has been terrible so far from the free throw line and I think that uh, that's something they definitely need to work on. And getting another, you know, when they're playing these these tough teams, is getting these wins. You know, not to, not dropping games. Uh, you know, to teams like Arkansas uh, and being more competitive with teams like Duke. So when they're playing teams that are good basketball teams, I think they need to continue to stack up these wins. Uh, so far, it's been uh, underwhelming. I think so far uh, this year for for IU and. So I think they work on those couple of things, just uh, not shooting the ball over so much and continuing to try to make free throws and not shooting at a 50% clip. I think 
it's a recipe for victory for Indiana today. Look into your crystal ball. Look into March of 2019. Out of those four teams, who do you see emerging uh, in your crystal ball? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, if IU continues to get better, they have a good shot. Butler, I, I think, probably is is the most likely just because of, of the conference they play in and the chance they have to make it in the tournament, I think, is a little easier road than, than, uh, than IU's. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I use got potential. It's just, can they capitalize on it and continue to grow? And that'll be, that'll be, uh, what I think is big for them. You know, they already hold a couple of big 10 wins, which is good for them uh, going into the season with that new format this year. So, uh, you know, Indiana, I think has a pretty good chance, but, uh, you know, when it comes to these teams, these games against these good teams, can they, uh, continue to grow and mature and not turn the ball over so much? I mean, that's just killed them so far, uh, you know, in games against Arkansas and Duke. Let's move over to the NBA. Obviously, the Pacers have been playing without uh, Olin Depot. He is back. Uh, uh, Thaddeus Young stepped up big in the second half, uh, uh, topping off the 76ers on the road. Have the Pacers finally decided that they're going to come to work and win some ball games? Well, I think the the emergence over the past you know three or four games of Miles Turner is what's been big for the Pacers and, and continuing uh, to to Wait, win basketball games. Wait, did you say Miles Turner in a positive note? Did you say Miles I Turner did. in a positive? Day? <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at the last three or four games, and Miles Turner has been pretty phenomenal. Uh, you know, and, and that's I think the guy they thought they drafted a couple of years ago. So if he continues to play like that, yeah, I mean, I think other than other than Toronto, there might uh, there might not be a, a team that matches up like that with uh, them in the East. You know, knocking off Milwaukee and Philadelphia uh, and back to back nights, I think is, is pretty pretty incredible. You know. Both teams uh, have uh, are pretty stacked, and both teams, uh, you know, are, are teams that have been are ahead of the Pacers in the standings. So, the Pacers, I think, the big thing for them is not playing down to their competition and losing games to these, you know, just average teams like a team like Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, when they played the uh, when they played the the top teams, they played pretty well this year. So, uh, you know, I, I like uh, I like this team uh, as uh, as Victor Oladipo returns, but you you know, you like seeing these other players step up and take some of the pressure off of him, and I think. Again, the big step up is so far over the last few games has been Miles Turner. So before I let you go and we'll keep on the NBA here, obviously we follow the, the central, but it's also active. Approach the, the deadline in February. Let's talk about some of these uh, players that we looked at. Maybe scenarios if they start going. Maybe just tell us where if they stay or if they go. Or if they go, where do you think the most logical place for them to go? Let's start with Javar Parker, uh, forward with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Well, I think that you know you're looking at a guy who's got a big price tag. Uh, you know, can he be helpful to a playoff team? Sure. It's just are they willing to take on you know a forty million dollar contract? So. Uh, uh, you know, you're going to look for a team that's going to try to fill a hole, and, and don't be shocked if, uh, if the Lakers can't worm their way in on this Trevor Reese deal that fell apart last night. Uh, if they can't worm their way back in, don't be shocked if, uh, you know, they might not be a team that, that, that takes a look at him. Uh, or uh, or even at this point, if the Wizards can't pull off a Trevor Reese deal, uh, could the Wizards be looking at a guy like Jabari Parker? You know, we make jokes about Miles Turner, but we are coming up on the trade, trade deadline. Who's more likely to get traded, Derek Collison or, or Miles Turner? Or either, for that matter. Um, probably Darren Collison to uh, get Tyreek Evans in the uh, lineup. More of it. I think if if Miles Turner continues to play like he has, 
depending on if somebody makes an absurd offer for him, I think that would be the only way he would go because this is the Miles Turner they've been waiting on. Uh, so uh, if this if this good play gets you a crazy offer, I think he'd be stupid not to look at it. Uh, but more than likely, probably Darren Collison, if I had to guess. Well, now you covered the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. you got to be talking about Rodney Hood not being a Cleveland Cavalier next year. Or even this oh, year, yeah, for that for matter. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the better part of last year, he wasn't really a Cavalier either. He just kind of hung out and sat on the bench and didn't really do much. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're mostly anybody's in play at this point, other than maybe Larry Nance Jr., uh, unless somebody made a stupid offer. Uh, but I think, you know, Jordan Clarkson could be a guy who'd be on the move, possibly. Uh, as well, but Rodney Hood for sure. Uh, it's doubtful that uh, that he'll be a Cavalier uh, much longer at, at this point. Well, any big uh, any big earth shaking events that uh, can we expect to happen uh, on uh, trade deadline eve? Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna come down to me. It's gonna come down to whether the Lakers decide they want to try to go all in this year, which I think would be a huge mistake. Uh, or if they're going to wait a year and see, you know, who will – can they make that deal? Because if, if they make a deal for Bradley Beal right now, uh, that's going to take away every piece you've got to try to make a deal for Anthony Davis, which I think is what the Lakers really want to do. But, you know, them hanging around uh, in the playoff picture could, uh, you know, could make the Lakers try to uh, accelerate the, the what they're doing now, and I think that's a mistake. I think that waiting a year is, is the way to go. But uh, to me, that will be the most interesting – uh, pieces. We get to the, the trade deadline and trade deadline name is what the Lakers do. All right, Mo, we appreciate you joining us. I know you said you had to jump off a little bit early today, so uh, I, I appreciate you jumping on. And where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? On Twitter, at Mo Radio Show. All right, buddy. We look forward to talking with you soon, and you have yourself a good weekend. All right, buddy. You too. All right. Mo for the BS Sports Show. It helps so to wrap up the show today, we're getting close uh, to uh, the, the the final buzzer, if you will. And and, and FYI, uh, a lot of times, and today won't be one of those days, but a lot of times we go over uh, because we get to talking. And, and the great thing about it is, it, I know a lot of you are listening to us live across the nation on just regular radio, or, or if you will. And we appreciate you listening to us. But if you lose the live stream uh, because we drop off at sharply at eleven o'clock. Uh, just wait a few minutes and then go to the podcast. See how cool that is? We do it by design. No, uh, we, we get more active, but a lot of times we have what's called the Bounce Extra, which is uh, designed to be a part of the podcast. Obviously, we want you to go to our podcast. We have thousands of downloads every week, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Just go to TuneIn or Stitcher or or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, it doesn't really matter. We're there, and and then just type in the balance, and then just hit subscribe, and then it's going to be it'll it'll send right to your email box, let you know that it's there. It'll send you alert on your phone. How cool is that? We want to make sure that you're always in the know. Make sure that you're following us on at Balance. That's our main mothership Twitter account. We have a few other ones running around there as well, but certainly. As that goes, thank you, Matthew Embry and Rick Riggin for talking some college hoops with us uh, and college basketball, college football, uh, bowl game as we did the bowl game preview. And certainly uh, we did not, and by design, we left the the New Year Six, if you will, uh, for our big uh, uh, bowl game special coming up 
close to the end of the year. We'll keep, we'll keep, let you know on that. We have a few minutes left here, 917 It's just you and I. You and I. You do not want me to sing. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you got some, some thoughts, if you will. Uh, also, thanks to Ed Kratt. The Philadelphia Eagles are official NFL contributor, uh, and he uh, works for the Sports Exchange, www.footballmaven.io. Whether or not you're an Eagles fan or not, I highly encourage you to follow him. He posts his video, has great articles. He really is an expert when it comes to the NFL. So if you're an NFL fan, you've definitely got to be following him. Of course, um, Mo from the BS Sports Show joined us. Mo's great all around. That's why, we, we, that's why his show is called the BS Sports Show. Because we didn't really get into much gambling, but if you, if you want some gambling tips, follow him at Mo Radio. He is always on it when it comes to the picks on who to pick and who not to pick and, and so forth and so forth. And, you know, we're, we, we find ourselves in a rare occasion in, in sports world where we've got the comings and goings of seasons, if you will. The great thing about the balance is this. You just stick with us. We're going we're gonna to merge you out of one season and into another. Uh, you just, just hang out with us, and, and I promise you, it doesn't get any better than that. We do things every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Eastern time. We are even so glad that you could join us as well. So we've got basketball starting up, which, by the way, as we merge out of football, we'll be moving into college basketball. So never fear if you're a college basketball fan. And trust me, as we get to March Madness, we've got some time. We've still got some time. We will be breaking down the brackets. And then we've got our, our March Madness special that we do. So there's all kinds of stuff coming up in May, obviously, Indianapolis 500. we got We've got racing starting back up in February. So we'll start talking in mid-late January. We'll start talking NASCAR again with Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest and all of our, our NASCAR uh, and racing people, uh, people's peeps, if you will. And then, you know, Formula One starts up in Australia in March. So Matthew will help us out with that. Uh, so, guys, look, if you're looking for a place to just – Cuddle up and be warm with We're it. I, Mark was me out, right? You know, he's like, you know, way more about sports than I do. You're out of here. So anyway, I hope everybody's ready for Christmas. Remember, Amazon's your friend. Just shop, click, send. You don't even have to leave a house. I should hit up Amazon for some advertising. Well, guys, we, we're coming up on our two-minute warning, and, and uh, so we're just going to go ahead and make sure that, that you guys know where to find us at, and that's at T-Balance. Follow us on Facebook um, and, and hit just type in the balance. It is what it is. Guys, we do this thing called the balance every Saturday morning, so make sure that, make, make sure that you listen to us. Remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. We'll see you on Saturday.
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.